Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the MapRound Show. This is the Secrets of Scale series where I'm connecting you to founders who are scaling their companies to levels many of us just aspire to. Uh, with us on the line from California is Sean Corson. He is the co-founder of Darcity. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Sean, uh, for our viewers around the world who potentially haven't heard about uh, the cool things you guys are doing there, why don't you give us the elevator pitch about Darcity? Um, tell us who a bit about who your customers are and the problem that you guys solve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, Darcity is a um, data and analytics platform designed for uh, direct-to-consumer companies. So um, we help them uh, take their uh, their various data silos, aggregate them into one place, um, and build some analytics and visualizations on top of that. Okay, so um, how, you know, who's your sweet spot customer? Yeah, so sweet spot customers, um, you know, like I said, really just focused on direct to consumer. Uh, really, uh, mainly, uh, most of our merchants are about twenty million in revenue a year or up. Um, we have rev- we have uh, merchants that are uh, as large as, uh, over a billion to 2 billion a year in revenue. So, um, you know, we're, we're able to support really, um, smaller companies as well as, uh, you know, large, um, uh, organizations. So, uh, Sean scaling companies is all usually a revenue, uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> conversation. I think many of us are either being measured on how much we've raised or how much revenue we're generating. Um, so, um, how much have you guys raised to date? Uh, we've raised uh, just over twenty million. So, how much in terms of your strategy funding to scale? That's obviously something a lot of startup founders do or startups do is is continually get into these funding cycles. Uh, with the market being the way that it is right now, you're obviously the CFO, so this is more like a finance uh, focus type uh, qu- uh, conversation we'll probably ho- have today, or at least I certainly hope so. Uh, but when it comes to the market being what it is and the cost of capital being uh, what it is, um, Sean, what is your advice to a founder right now use to, to basically raise or who is in a process of raising capital to scale? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I think the last six to 12 months have been um, kind of a, a bit of a reset to uh, to the fundamentals, back to fundamentals, right? So, um, you know, between 2010 to 2022, we kind of had this um, crazy bull market where um, there was a lot of funding getting done at, at some pretty crazy valuations, especially, you know, after like 2017, 2018, you just had um, some, some pretty high valuations that were really primarily based around growth rates, right? So grow the top line. Um, and that was that was driving pretty much everything. Um, and I think what you're seeing now as um, VCs and startups are moving into this new world of, um, you know, there's not always going to be a VC money light at the end of the tunnel um, is, all right, we need to, we need to manage the business fundamentals, which means um, you know, managing to to our unit economics, making sure that um, you know whatever we're selling, uh, we're selling at a profit, uh, and it's it's enough of a profit to um, to fund the business. Um, I, I think that that really kind of gets down to to the basics of of um, you know what founders, what startups need to be aware of when they're going out to raise money. Uh, Sean, uh, many of us talk about this idea of product market fit and then and only then should you really push the scale button. To your point, you use the term you know unit economics and. I don't think many of us even know 
what that means practically in many of our startups, right? It's something that is yeah. like, oh yeah, we'll know that one day, but we don't actually yeah. know if you put, you know, $1 in, I'm going to get two or $3 out. And so mm -hmm. many of us, you know, this idea of product market fit and, and also, by the way, going back to the idea of raising capital to scale is very much predicated upon knowing your unit economics and knowing are you actually at product market fit? Because if you try and scale prior to that, it suddenly becomes, well, holy shit, I put a million into this engine and I've only got like 800 out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the, um, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the realization that a lot of of VCs, a lot of um, startups are are kind of realizing is is uh, yeah they weren't exactly paying attention to that and it's um, you know the business might be might not be fully upside down in terms of margin but um, but they're they're not in a place where uh, they can go out and raise another round and VCs are going to look at those metrics and say hey this this looks great this is something where you know we can give you twenty million dollars and you can take it and you can grow grow five x or ten x whatever that number might be. So how did you know when you guys were at product market fit? Was there, were there financial indicators that you were using to say, Hey guys, we're here. Yeah. You know, the, the history of Dacity kind of when we started Dacity, it's an interesting, um, interesting backstory in that when Dan and I started, we were really just focused on consulting. So we were consulting with direct to consumer companies and, essentially building custom data solutions for each one of them, right? So um, we, we were essentially charging by the hour and we were, uh, you know, going in and building different integrations and different visualizations just on a one-off basis. Um, Dan, I think uh, from the beginning, kind of had in the back of his mind, you know, we're, we're going to be doing the same thing over and over again here, right? So it's, it's perfect for a software model. Um, so our... Our sort of approach to, you know, us getting to product market fit was interesting in that we kind of had it from the beginning. We knew that there were merchants that were willing to pay for what we were doing on a consulting basis. And because of that, we were able to bootstrap it for, for a while. Um, but uh, kind of making that transition to the software model did require us to then make a few changes around like, you know, listen, the service, the, the support model is different, right. As you're going from, from consulting to, to software and um, you know, the, the onboarding model is different. Like all of that stuff needs to be a little more self-serve. And that's, I think where we kind of had, had to find that product market fit and get to a place where it was like, yeah, this, this is making sense. And to, to, to kind of answer that question, I think, yeah, it's um, you know, at the end of the day, it really was a, um, uh, I think think metric driven. So um, when when you're at a place where month after month after month after month you're seeing um, you know the the kind of year over year growth rates that's like two x three x every single month, yeah, that's when you know okay this is something that's working. Um, especially when you know when you're when you're early and you may not have a large sales team, large marketing team, and you're still getting those growth rates. Yeah, obviously people want what you're selling at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had uh, Brett Lovac on the on the show last week, and we were talking about services businesses. Um, and obviously, we all know um, that services business are, services businesses rather are inherently difficult to scale. Um, and we were talking about uh, personal experience I had, where I had a really big services business that was trying to then transition into a product space, which mm -hmm. is kind of what you guys have done. 
Um, and Brett was of the view, he's like, yo, like if you're a services business and you're trying to now pivot into a technology business, like good luck. <laughs> yeah. And he said yeah. nine times out of 10, that will fail because they're fundamentally different. Like it's a totally different mindset for the founders uh, and everything else that goes along with it, like trying to scale, you know, like a content business versus like a hardcore SaaS platform, like which is what you guys have done to make that jump is oftentimes a jump that many of us don't make. Why do you think you were successful in that jump? Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I, so yeah, to rewind on that a little bit, I, I go back and I think sometimes like what, would I recommend taking that approach to other people, right? To, to a, to a different founder. Um, and, and I think this does kind of get at, at like what, what made us successful. Um, there are, I think there are certain markets where, um, where it, it makes, it makes sense in that you have a customer that's willing to pay, um, for what you're doing and a customer that is, um, um, you know, looking for, I'll say, I think what the key to ours really was is that merchants were looking for a different, there's kind of an end-to-end data platform um, uh, ecosystem, right? Where there's step one is kind of ingesting data. um, Step two is storing it. Step three uh, is, you know, transforming it, putting it into a usable format. Step four is visualizing it, creating analytics out of that. And then step five is generally taking that data, pushing it back out to a marketing platform like a Facebook or a, or a Twitter or a TikTok. Um, what, what we found was that merchants wanted, did they didn't necessarily want that complete end-to-end solution. Some did, but some didn't. And um, you could really take that uh, end-to-end solution and break it into different parts that all could kind of be their own product at the end of the day. Um, I think that has really helped us to kind of make that transition in that, um, you know, it is such a hard step to go from consulting to software. Like I said, the, the support side and the onboarding side were really the biggest leaps I think that we found where, um, we're talking, you know, at the back five years ago, it was Dan and I talking to all of our merchants, you know, once a month or twice a month, um, they're getting white glove service. Dan and I are e-commerce experts. We've been in the e-commerce game. We know direct to consumer, we know direct to consumer analytics. Um, and so to transition away from that, yeah, it's tough. You have to basically take those merchants and say, Hey, you're not going to get me anymore. You're going to get someone else that we've trained up for this role. And it's going to be a little more self-serve. Um, so the ability to kind of take those merchants that we had and say, listen, we've developed this product for you. We've developed this service for you. We're going to transition you away from having kind of the white glove service. Um, And at the same time, recognizing that there was a market out there that wanted a bunch of different pieces that didn't necessarily require a lot of hands-on service. I think that's what, that's what kind of helped in that, um, in that transition. Um, That was a very long answer. I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that was too much information, but um, (laughs) the, the ecosystem itself to me kind of spoke to merchants willing to um, pay and, and frankly being used to paying for uh, software and a product that did one or two specific things without getting this giant range of, of, uh, of a solution. So uh, Sean, what have you guys built? What does your platform actually do? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, what I was just describing was kind of the, the end to end, um, uh, data platform. So, um, if you are a, a direct to consumer company, 
um, you're using anywhere from, let's say, 10 or more different pieces of software or marketing vendors um, or different sources of data, right? And none of those sources talk to each other. So you've got, you know, let's say your Shopify platform, and that's got a bunch of data around customers and orders and who's coming to your site. And then you've got Google Analytics that has more information around site analytics. You've got uh, Amazon, maybe if you sell on Amazon. Um, you've got Facebook where you're marketing. You've got TikTok where you're marketing. All of those data sources um, contain useful things. And but you can't really get a complete picture of the business without really putting that all together, right? So what our platform does is it puts it all together. We ingest that data, we put it into one um, one data warehouse, um, and then we have a set of sort of transformation code that takes that data and really pieces it together. We're linking customers that are coming to your site with customers that have ordered and um, customers from Amazon with customers from Shopify uh, to really give you a full view into things like what's your lifetime value, right? Um, a lot of our merchants, you know, they have customers buying on Amazon, customers buying on Shopify, and they have no idea. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they're the same people, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, you might be marketing to someone on Shopify that's now just coming to you exclusively through Amazon. Um, you know, you're creating things like customer segments that are, can then again, be pushed out to your marketing vendors so that they can, um, you know, really get a, uh, useful view into who your customers are, what kind of products they want to see, what price points they want to see. Do they want to see discounts? Um, so it's really that end-to-end data picture, taking all that data, piecing it together, um, and then giving merchants the ability to kind of make data-driven decisions. All right. We're going to take a quick break, guys, and we'll be back. The Matt Brown Show is presented by Carafin, an investment bank that offers and supports direct private investments in U.S. operating companies. Over the past 20 years, investors have placed over $1.2 billion of private debt and equity in more than 100 companies through Carafin and its affiliates. Carafin leverages technology to empower its community of investors to deploy their capital far more efficiently than ever before and connects their community of engaged investors with worthy companies. Invest portions of your portfolio in direct private investments today. Visit carafin.com forward slash Matt Brown show for more. And we're back, Sean. A question about this idea of increasing revenue. What is, in the context of scale, um, a common misconception about scale as it relates to revenue generation? You guys are obviously helping, you know, direct-to-consumer brands or merchants scale through data mapping platform technology. Um, And then you guys are also scaling. So I'm curious to – you're sitting in this interesting – position aren't you where you you're helping you have clients helping them scale and then you're doing it yourself so is there a common misconception or is there an idea that you find coming up frequently in your engagement with either merchants or in your own experience um so you know my my background being in data and and finance um i'll 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 kind of take that from from two sides one I'll, i'll i'll talk about our merchants right so um, when I think about our merchants, um, I think, and I, I suppose this is true for us as well. A lot of people think of what you mentioned earlier, product market fit, right? Once you have product market fit, you're ready to scale. Boom, you're done. Go run with it. Um, and I think what we've really seen 
um, with our merchants is a lot of merchants achieving product market fit, getting to 50 to 100 million in revenue, and then stalling out. And um, to us, the reason why that happens often with e-commerce is, is just a lack of understanding around data and processes, right? So um, really on the data side, um, you know, merchants, what a lot of times we'll see is merchants have attacked one or two marketing channels. They've really scaled those channels, but it's not an endless sea of, of new customers there, right? And so they sort of, um, you know, soak up all the new customers in those channels. And then all of a sudden their CAC and their ROAS uh, aren't looking so hot. And, um, and they're, again, they're stuck. Um, a lot of merchants aren't kind of thinking about retention and, you know, how do we get those customers to come back and buy again, which really comes down uh, retention is just all about data, right? It's about segmenting your customers, understanding what they want, putting the right things in front of them at the right time. Um, so I think for our merchants, that's what we see a lot. It's, it's this, this idea that, you know, yeah, we have product market fit, we can scale, let's go. Um, but then you just kind of run out of steam as you're, you're kind of soaking up all of the new customers from your channels. Um, you know, I think for our business, um, you know, we're, 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 we're B2B software. So, um, there isn't a, there's no Facebook advertising where we're going out and just slamming a, a paid social, uh, channel with, uh, with a lot of spend. Right. Um, and, you know, I think on our end, um, there is a little bit of, of, you know, we've got product market fit. Um, we have to get our name out there to people. Uh, and the game's a little different. So we're going to conferences, we're going to events, we're, um, uh, you know, trying to, it's, it's, it's a lot more brand advertising, I think, uh, rather than, um, you know, sort of like uh, uh, direct, uh, you know, direct advertising. Um, but I'll say, honestly, from our point of view, it's, it's probably a little bit of the same issue of, um, you know, you have product market fit, but um, there are processes and data that you really need to kind of take it to the next level. So as you're, as you're going from a 2 million to a 5 million ARR company, and then from 5 million to 20 million, um, you really need to have everything kind of locked down from a, um, uh, from a um, uh, service slash support standpoint, right? You need to have those, uh, the merchants that are, uh, the merchants that you're supporting, they need to be, they need to, it needs to be a process that really makes them, um, uh, you know, really puts them first, really gets them kind of locked down. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling a little bit on this one. I think on the merchant side, it's really, um, it's, it's really been pretty obvious to me is it's like, we see this time and time again, where merchants are going from, you know, 20 to 50 million in revenue, and then they just stop growing and they don't really understand it. It's like, well, yeah, you've used Facebook to grow your business for the last, you know, 10 years, five years, whatever it is. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily always, that's not, not that, that channel isn't always going to be the, uh, you know, the number one source of your new customers. So interesting that, right? Because we, we were always like trying to get to that next revenue uh, level, aren't we? It's like 1 million, then, then two, then four, then 16 and, and so on. And what you're saying is really interesting in that, you know, companies, irrespective, and obviously you're talking about merchants and so forth, but it's interesting just to, uh, just to know that some 
well, companies that hit these amazing revenue numbers, 20 odd million, 25 million, they, they stop. It's weird, yeah. right? It's like, why? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I imagine if I was sitting on, on a comp as a founder, right? And I was on like a five year, you know, sort of timeline. And I was like, shit, we got to 25 million in five years. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing growth story. And then yep. it stops. Yeah. It's nuts. And when, when I say that, what I, what I think about is the saying that you never rise to the level of your goals. You always fall to the level of your systems. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, is it's actually the system and the role of data in that system, mapping different channels, creating a visualized layer of that system so mm-hmm. that founders can go, oh, snap, that's why we've stopped growing, or this yep. is why we're not retaining customers, or this is why our cost of acquisition on this channel is outperforming you know, our CAC on these other three. And so as a consequence, what you can do is turn off the channels that aren't giving you the kind of return on ad spend that you might be looking for. Um, yep. And so when, you be, when you're able to make that decision, you're actually creating a more efficient system. And that if more efficient system is what's, is what you're saying is I believe is ultimately what's going to get you to get to 40 million or 30 million as an example. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the, the problems that, I mean, when, when Dan and I started Dacity, I never, the problems that I'm solving today, I never imagined back then. Right. It was like, that was back then. It was kind of like, um, you know, like I said, we started with consulting. So it was like, okay, we need to make sure we've got enough to to run payroll. We've got our, you know, we're billing enough to run payroll and that we're collecting enough. And, um, and then, okay, let's go find a couple more merchants. And, uh, and then, and now it's like, yeah, it is all internal system management systems. Um, uh, like I said, support customer service, just onboarding, just making sure all of that stuff is, um, as tight as it can be. Um, so that your, your, your merchants are happy, your customers are happy. Um, you know, you're getting referrals. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really the name of the game. Once you get to get over a certain point in revenue. Sure. And that, uh, statement of yours around, you didn't expect to wind up with the business that you have is something that I've, you know, I've encountered many, many, many times, like pretty much every single business <laughs> that yeah. I've ever started that scaled to any sort of successful level whatsoever, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it was like, I didn't expect this, you know what I mean? It's, like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go out there and solve this problem. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, um, yeah, it's amazing. Just the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the changes that happen, the things that you're, the things that keep you up at night. And I, I had a good friend of mine who, who had started a couple of companies and, and he told me this early, you know, the things that keep you up at night, the list never gets shorter. It just changes. Right. And it, and there's points where every three months it's a completely different list. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. It's, it's, um, and there really is no way to prepare you for that. And there's no way, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, people that, um, so I, I, as someone who went to business school, like I, I can, I can make fun of people who went to business school, you know, people come out of business school, they said, Oh, I, I, you know, really focused on entrepreneurial studies. And it's like, you can't learn that in school. Like it's, you have to start a business so that you see all of these different problems. Sean, how big do you want to get? <laughs> Yeah, Not you a... personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Dacity, okay. And I'm asking Dac- that question for a very point pointed reason because mm-hmm. there's 
there's ambition in my experience is a double-edged sword. Yep. You know, like you, I was talking to you before you we went live and I was like, well, you know, my business you know, got to X and I was like, I woke up one morning, I was like, this sucks. Yeah. You know, and it was because I scaled it to a point where it, I, I kind of didn't recognize what, to the point we just discussed, right? Which was like, oh shit, like now I've got this thing and this thing isn't what I expected it ever to be. And so happiness or expectations minus reality equals happiness, doesn't it? So, yeah. How, yeah. I mean, because you could be you could be a small giant. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And you could mm -hmm. hold on to this thing for 20 years for mm -hmm. argument's sake or not. You know, you could just keep going on this funding cycle train and, and get to a series B or C and then eventually try and offload the thing. And I interviewed um, uh, Bo Burlingham and he, he wrote the book Small Giants and, and he wrote about this interesting statistic where I think he interviewed like 300 founders who sold their businesses for like shit tons of money. Yeah. Um, and he said like nine out of 10 of them went into like clinical depression after they sold. They were rich, but they were depressed. And that's because they didn't have any sense of meaning or purpose in the struggle anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I'm asking you that question, like how, you know, what, you know, in terms of scale, like how, how much scale is enough here for you guys? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting question um, and one that I've thought about a lot lately um, from a personal standpoint because uh, I have a my first child on the way in about three months. So um, so I've started to have this thought process right around, listen, Dacity has been my baby. I mean, to be honest, it's been my baby for the last six years, right? So um, there is a, from a personal standpoint, there is a thought that, okay, yeah, at some point, at some point, Dacity is not around, right? Like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I'm not, and, and I mean, it, it may still be around, but I may just not be involved, right? Um, if, I, if I just think about, if I take it, take personal feelings out of it, just think about the business, um, I think, I think Dacity could be a, um, you know, a, a hundred million ARR plus uh, behemoth SaaS company that um, is, uh, you know, where we've got, um, you know, maybe we're not even just focused on direct to consumer anymore, right? Maybe it's, it's B2B software and we're really, um, you know, you think about, um, you know, other companies that kind of do this, uh, data aggregation, um, uh, you know, piece of the pie or, or just do data transformation or just do visualization. And there are companies that just focus on one of those pieces and are, you know, $5 billion plus companies. So, um, can, can Dacity get there? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, I think, I think Dacity could be that big. Um, I, I don't know if that's for me. <laughs> I don't know. I, listen, I've worked at very large companies, um, and it's not necessarily the most appealing, um, uh, aspect of, of work life to me, right? That's not, um, yeah, right. That's, um, I like the ability to be able to, I like to build stuff. I like to solve problems. Um, I don't like dealing with, uh, bureaucracy and, you know, all the, all the things that, that most people that don't like to, that either start companies or don't like to work at big companies don't like to deal with. Um, I'll say we're not there yet. There are, you know, Dacity certainly has, I think a ways to go before we're, we're at any sort of scale where I'm like, yeah, this, this isn't for me anymore. Um, and I think to be fair, the, the management team that we have in place, the executive team we have in place, it's such a great team. It's such a great group of people to work with 
Um, and we all have a very similar feeling on culture, what we want the company to be, how we want to feel when we're going to work every day, that I don't think that we will um, consciously go in that direction without it just happening as a function of, well, we got so big that that's just where it ended up, right? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. <clears throat> and I think, you know, for our viewers who are watching us or listening to us, whoever you're catching the show, it's something you should think about because it was something I didn't think about until I had to. And it's and it's a, to your point. Firstly, congratulations on uh, becoming a dad, man. It's best Thank thing. You. It's the hardest job ever, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know, I, know. I still no, can't believe it takes twenty years to assimilate a human. <laughs> yeah, right. It's unbelievable, right. dude. It's nuts. <laughs> uh, it's very frustrating. Uh, gives you lots of gray hairs, but uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, the hardest things are the most valuable things, right? But and I don't know whether it. And you know, I also kind of went through that same process, like when I also became a dad. You know, I built the biggest business I ever had like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And and then you start to ask these existential questions, right? It's weird. Like the role of a kid in becoming a, an on, well, as an entrepreneur because it's like, oh, shit. Right. Like I'm actually not the center of the universe anymore. Right. You know, or I'm about to be not the center. And then it happens. Yeah. And then you, don't, then you don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and and to, have the, the, to have to choose because it's kind of like – Dacity is your baby, right? It's like you've been running this thing as your own little baby. And mm-hmm. now you've got, a, you've got a human baby. And now it's like, well, you have to choose. And so then yeah. you have, you're forced into this interesting paradigm where you have to think about, well, what kind of lifestyle is enough for me? You know? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, you know, especially going through what we've all just gone through with the pandemic and quarantine. And um I think everyone had a lot of time to kind of think about those questions, right? Like what, especially coming out of it, it was like, at first, I think, you know, everyone felt this need to go be social and hang out with people and see friends and see family. Um, But yeah, it was a lot of time to think about that. Like, what do I, what do I actually want out of, out of life? Right. Like, um, uh, you know, you're in this lonely, isolating situation. So um yeah. Like, what is it, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean? Uh, you know, uh, in terms of my work career, my life career, my, my, uh, my work-life balance, like all of that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I think what you're saying is, is really, really important for founders to think about, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of founders think, well, wait, it, I'll grow my business as big as possible. Right. And that'll be, that will be, that success is what will feed me. Um, but really you're starting a company for a specific reason, likely because there was something about working for someone else that you didn't like, right? Maybe it was the type of the company, maybe it was just, you know, not being in control of your own destiny, whatever that was. Um, And those things go away, right? At a certain point, your business gets to a size where those things go away. You're not you know, once you're raising money, you've got a board and you're answering to people and you have a boss. And, um, you know, once you're a certain size, you're dealing with those same bureaucracy issues that you've had to deal with before. So, yeah, I think it's it's really, really, really interesting thing for founders to think of. Yeah, because you wind up building the thing that you hated in the first place. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. And on that bombshell, it's time to take a quick break. Scale your business with your own AI-powered digital marketing assistant. Sign up today and get $250 of your first month's ad spend back. Check out meetotis.com forward slash rapid returns for more. Raising money for your startup? Well, why don't you close your next funding round fast? 
Get investor-focused media and FaceTime with relevant investors in days. Visit showworksmedia.com for more. That's showworks with an X, media.com. Sean, what are you struggling with right now um, as it relates to scaling Dacity? Like what's keeping you up at night? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for us right now, I think it's the first 30 to 90 days of a merchant's uh, onboarding experience. Um, so it's part of that's onboarding. Part of that is just, um, uh, I think, kind of getting them, just getting them into the flow of Dacity, right? Um, there are... We're dealing with a um, a technical product, um, and then we're dealing with customers that don't necessarily have a, a technical person um, uh, on staff. And so there are a lot of different points where that can kind of um, go awry. And it's um, so so. I think those those making sure that experience for merchants is as seamless. Um, as uh, easy to use as possible is is kind of the the main thing that's keeping me up uh, right now. So interesting. Um, there's two people I want to connect you with. One is uh, Frank Arellano. He's the uh, co-founder and CEO of Revolve. They do okay. uh, SaaS payment optimization for like massive scale companies. But I think given what you're doing and what they're doing, I think there might be an interesting partnership. And then okay. on the um, on the onboarding side. Uh, there's a, a guy I met today, interestingly, he runs onboard.io. Uh, yeah. I'll bring it up on screen for everybody. But this is basically the solution to your problem around onboarding nice. customers as a technology business. Uh, so I'll connect you uh, to him uh, also. Cool. Um, yeah, man, you. no, you're very welcome. Um, so tell me, in if you think about like the whole journey that you've been on, uh, Sean, um, what has been the toughest decision that you've had to make when it comes to scaling uh, Dacity and what did you learn from it? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting question. Um, you know, I think the, I'll talk about kind of two, two different inflection points. Well, I'll, I'll talk about one first, um, which was really just the, our decision to, to, um, um, move to a software model and at the same time kind of take our first round of venture funding. So um, the, you know, that this is, and I think this is, is kind of a, uh, a bit of an inflection point that I think, I think a lot of people can have, especially if you're working in like a consulting services type uh, startup. Um, we, we had a steady stream of revenue, right? We had a steady stream of revenue. We had, um, we were, we were, we had really cheap, um, uh, customer acquisition because all of our customers were coming either through, uh, referrals or through, um, a partnership that we had with one of our, our technology providers. Um, and like I said, Dan, my co-founder and myself were, you know, essentially providing all of sales and merchant success and, and, uh, and onboarding and all of that, um, which, obviously isn't scalable. So we had to make the decision, listen, are you going to, we're going to turn this into a product company, try and scale it. Um, or are we going to, um, you know, kind of, kind of keep going the direction that we're going, run this profitably. Um, so it's a little bit, a little bit scary. Right. Uh, and, and then again, like I, like I just mentioned, taking VC money, once you take that first venture round, well, then you've got a boss that wasn't there before. 
now I'll say we've been incredibly lucky with all of our, um, all of our, uh, uh, investors. They are, um, I've heard so many horror stories about people taking venture money, having a board that they have no control over that is, is, um, uh, that are not fun to work with. And ours, ours are, are great. They've been, they've been great partners. Um, but, but it's a, it's still a scary decision. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really the one that sticks out the most. Um, you know, I'll, I'll mention another one since I did mention the pandemic, which was we went fully remote shortly after COVID started. And um, we are still fully, well, I'll say we have an office. It's very small. It's really just used for meetings. So for the most part, we are a remote company. Um, and because of that, we've been able to hire all over the place, right? We've And, and it's it's, it's great because it, it allows us to have coverage over different time zones and, um, you know, hire people that in California, San Diego might be more expensive. Uh, we can hire them if they live somewhere else for, for slightly cheaper. So there's benefits there, but the, the, to make it, obviously we didn't have a choice going into COVID where it was like, okay, everyone's working from home. Um, but the decision to stick with that was, wasn't easy. There's, there's, pluses and minuses that come from working remote and it's, um, you know, but I think in the long run, it's been something that's been really beneficial for us. Yeah, I would agree. I want to come back to scaling culture. So how many people are now in the company? Um, we've got, uh, just about 74, I believe right now. And they're all distributed. Um, yes. Yes. So, um, maybe, you know, we probably still have maybe 30 or so in San Diego, most of those were people that we had hired before uh, before COVID started. Yeah, well, it's uh, I I agree with you though. I think it was it sucked, but it also opened up a new, I would say, level of acceptance around ways of working. To your mm-hmm. point, dude, you don't want to be driving in San Diego traffic, right. going to the office when you've got a newborn. Right. Even if you're the boss. And by the way, and that same thing applies to like every, any parent, you know what I mean? Like whether they're a designer or a data analyst or whatever, like people want that choice. And we didn't have that choice because it just was never going to be accepted. Imagine, (laughs) imagine coming, someone walking on, knocking on your door, Sean, and going, yo, uh, I want to work from home for the the rest of the year. Do you know what I mean? Like you're very cool. You'd find another job. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it was, I mean, we had, you know, even, even after we've been working at home, um, for, um, you know, over a year, we still had reservations around kind of keeping it that way. And, and we ended up, you know, getting our, the, the small office that we had, um, was a way to say, all right, listen, it is still very valuable for us to be in the same room, maybe not the entire company, but maybe it's just, you know, senior leadership, or maybe it's specific groups within the company, still very valuable to have that space when we need it. Um, and me personally, actually, I like being in an office, not all the time, but I like being in an office, just fewer distractions. And that's kind of what I've been used to. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think you're right. It has opened, it's opened us up to a lot of additional options in terms of the way we work and who we work with that would not have been there otherwise. Yeah. And so how have you been able to scale your culture? Cause I think we're all sitting in this situation. I know I mentioned Frank earlier. So Frank also, you know, hires developers out in Europe and then you've got a PR firm in the UK or whatever, you know, so we're all, you know, in this new scale kind of workforce dynamic, right? But it's, mm. it's you know, it's difficult to scale culture. Um, so what have you learned 
about doing that successfully? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, for, for the, uh, the people that are still in San Diego, we do still have, you know, we do have meetups here and we do have, um, happy hours here. And, and I, th- I think that stuff is, is, it's really important just to have FaceTime. Um, I'll say we tend to have, um, done our hiring in fairly, uh, broad areas. So for instance, um, yeah, we, we have, we have some developers in, um, uh, in South America and we have some customer support that's in, um, you know, Ohio for instance, but for the most part, we have employees that live in Toronto, in San Diego, in some in New York. Um, so there are kind of like little mini hubs across the, across the country. Um, I'll also say because there are these hubs, it makes it a little easier for teams to kind of get together. And, and um, you know, if a manager is in San Diego, it's important for them to fly out and, and see those people face to face every once in a while. That's just, I, I think that is a, it's a, it's a human response mechanism, right. Of just seeing each other face to face that you just can't really get when you're um, on a zoom call. Yeah. I would agree with that entirely. It's the same thing, by the way, with a sales call. It's like, if you're trying to, have a mm-hmm. remote sales call it still works you know but if you're yeah. able to go and sh- shake his or her hand and and then you get to meet matt and you get to meet yep. sean and you get to ah, oh, you know people have this thing called eq yeah you know and i think a lot of that's filtered out through this digital me or medium now yep yeah 100 percent mm-hmm. um so i want to have a quick bit of fun with you uh sean so i'm going to give you the keys to the uh, matt brown show time machine um, and if you could go back to yourself on day one, services, business, no products, no customers, nothing. Um, <laughs> and you think about all the things you've learned and failed at and succeeded at and so forth. What advice would you give yourself about scaling mm-hmm. Audacity? So um, I'll, I'll talk about two things. Um, one is just a, a quote that um, – uh, I think it was from a book by, I think it was Ben Horowitz. Uh, uh, um, it was, uh, uh, was, was your thing. One? The hard things about the hard things. Yeah. Um, he had a quote in there that I think, I think it was from one of his um, uh, former bosses or mentors or something. And he said, um, there's no, there's no silver bullets. There's only lead bullets and we need to just keep shooting. Right. And that's, I didn't read that book until I don't know, it was probably a year and a half ago. And that quote resonated with me because I was like, I could not have taken the experience of a startup better and just summed it up in one quote. Right. It's like you so rarely, so infrequently do you have one solution to a problem that's like, cool, we solved it. That was it. It was this one solution. Right. No, it's like you need to just keep throwing things at it. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not random. It's not, um, you know, just try everything. It's, you know, sit down, talk about it, come up with solutions. Um, and then, and then, you know, see, see what kind of like, uh, what kind of incremental results you can get from those solutions, because it's, it's, you know, maybe that all of them together get you to where you want to be. It may be that it's, you know, three or four of them it's, but yeah, it's, um, it also kind of keeps me motivated when I'm thinking about, okay, I have this, a bunch of problems in front of me. Um, how, how are we ever going to do this? How are we going to solve all these problems? Right? Well, it's like, you just keep cracking away at them. That's, that's really the only way to get there. And that um, Sean is how you wind up with a business you didn't expect to have. 
that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. You saw, yes, you keep cracking away and you solve enough of those problems. And the next thing you look up and you're like, wait, am I, do I like this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the second one I'll talk about that, um, was people had mentioned this to me when I started the company and I, I, I thought I understood it, but I really didn't, which is just how important hiring the right people are, um, the right culture fits, um, the right, um, just personalities. Um, I think we've done a really, really good job of hiring, but you can always think back on one or two mistakes that cost you so much time and effort to undo. Um, and, and those are, you can never get those, you can never get that time back. Right. Um, yeah, there was, you know, there's, I, I can only think of a couple examples at, at Dacity, but yeah, it's, um, those are killers. And it's, uh, if you can, if you could say, I'm going to be perfect at any one thing and running my company, hiring is the one thing that I would pick. Yeah. That's a tough one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can tell you, some, I, know. I can tell you some nightmare stories about labor laws in South Africa. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, at least here you can go, you're fired. And then I know there's yeah. some states where it's, you know, there's right to work. But yeah. most of the, it's kind of like you see it in the movies, right? It's like, you're yes. fired. You're gone, dude. You know, like, yep. you did the wrong thing. You're not the right fit. In South right. Africa, that's the hardest thing to do. You cannot yeah. fire people because of this, because yeah. the unemployment rate's so high. And so there's a process mm. you have to follow. And so it really, again, it's another thing of many things that prevents anything really from scaling in, in, in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I know it's, it is something that I've lived in California basically my whole life. And yeah, it's just the way that I think it works right everywhere, but it's like, yeah, obviously that is not the case everywhere. Um, which would make it an entirely <laughs> even even more important, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a it's a it's a horror show, man. I can tell you. So, uh, yeah. Sean, let's wrap this up. What's your advice to a founder, him or her, listening to us right now? Um, and they're on this. Hey, man, I need to scale this thing. Uh, I want to do it fast. What's your advice? Um, yeah, I would say um, you know really, really, really understand your business metrics, right? Understand. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, your unit economics, understand, um, what is driving, um, you know, what drives profit within your company, because, um, you know, you may, you may really dig into the data and, and, and come to an understanding that, you know, listen, I've got an entire business line that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Right. Or I need to change the pricing on it. Um, and you may find that, Hey, you've actually got some customers that you didn't think were super profitable, but they are, um, you know, that's, that to me is the kind of work that all startups are going to be doing from here on out, um, you know, until we get to the next zero interest uh, interest time period. But um, uh, yeah, it's that, those are the kind of things that right now you have to be doing that work. You have to have that understanding to really, really understand your business and, and understand where to put pressure, where to put money and, and um, uh, you know, where you want to kind of make your bets. Can I just add to that? Um, I think AI is essential. Like if you mm -hmm. if you're on that job, like, dude, yeah. you have to use AI. Like, yeah, there's a there's a thing called Chat GPT, and you yes. can have an API call to your database, and you should basically offer that and put a margin on it and charge yeah. for it. Use yeah. it to retain your base or to scale it because <clears throat> paying a data analyst to do it, or you know, <clears throat> using anything other than that artificial general intelligence is a waste of time yeah. and it's inefficient. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that technology is, is so crazy to me. It's um, I mean, we've already seen how, you know, it's, it's like producing better search results than Google and it's producing, uh, you know, better, better code than like programmers. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly, man. And, you know, I actually, there's a cool Chrome extension you should install. You can put chat GPT into your Google search results. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Just search for integrate chat GPT into your Google search or whatever. Okay. And install that Chrome extension. It it actually makes a big difference because I was bitching and moaning about that because I was like, I don't actually like the Google experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't, I think it's cuck. Like, I don't think it's good. I think it could be way better. And now I've got this general intelligence sitting there explaining stuff to me over and above the search results, which is that, that, you know, it's, I mean, it's so interesting, right? Because you never, ever would have thought that Google, something would come along that would put Google in any kind of gray. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. It's, it's one of those technologies where, I, it's hard to even imagine where it is 12 months from now, let alone like five, 10 years from now. Right. Uh, Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Your kid, I was chatting, I was chatting to my kid uh, about AI when I was first starting to play around with this, I was running around the house going, this is amazing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, so now it's my co-founder. It's my co-host. It's my Mm -hmm. researcher. It's my financial modeler. It's my content creator. It's all those things. And you yeah. can't put a price on that. You literally can't. Yeah. And it's and it's just general. And it's trained on such a small, like natural language model data data right. set. It's like 175 million. If that gets up to like who knows? If it just adds a nut, doubles that, like what it could do, or if we could start to look at other channels or whatever, like it's going to be yeah. so so. Like it's, people don't get it, man. Like the whole world is has changed when that shit became real. Because we were always like, ah, I remember there was this. Um, talk I was watching it was basically this heavy hits I can't remember his name he was talking on, on the stage at Cannes about AI and he said take the next 10,000 startups and just add AI and yeah. that was like eight years ago right when yeah. we were, and we've been talking about it and it's always been crap <laughs> and yeah, now it's not right. so right. it's like people need to get on board because it's changing everything and I said yep. to um, and to you know as parents keep talking about this but you know I said to Frank the other day I said dude like when you and also, I, I do believe this. I, I do think we're witnessing the end of the knowledge area, mean, meaning like how much knowledge can you individually retain in your mind, like and getting yeah. graded on that and whole education system and Frank's eight or whatever. And I said to him, dude, by the time he's 18, so in 10 years time, can you imagine what's going to be going on in this world with yeah. AI? It's going to be everywhere. And we're going to, be, I yeah. believe we're going to be paying f- subscriptions to our, for our own personal AI to protect us against other AIs, and it will be literally integrated everywhere. Siri won't be dumb, you know. Um, yep. And and then it's not about how much, because then the knowledge is all there anyway. It's then a case about well, how do you approach constructive thinking strategically to solve problems, create innovation, new products and services, and things like that. That's the right. opportunity. Yep. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. That's. Um, yeah. I. It's funny because I've had the same thought process around. AI that protects you from other AIs, right? Or AI that protects a people or a country or whatever from other AIs. Like, yeah, like you're, that's kind of feels like that would probably be the direction it's going to go. Like you have enough bad actors out there that are going to have access to this stuff that, um, it's AI insurance, bro. 
Yeah. You're going to yeah. subscribe and it's going to learn about you. It's going to look at your the way that you communicate, the, who you like your friend network, all that stuff. And it's going to integrate across all the platforms, your emails, your business, everything, your wife, the text messages you send, the WhatsApps you send, signals, everything. And it's going to be able to create a digital persona for yourself that is so like you it's frightening and then based on that it's going to go cool what's going to based on your profile what is you know what is an what is a possible threat and based on that it's going to put together a plan to say cool here's how i'm going to create value for matt in this category of personal relationships wealth creation blah 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 like when you sign up i believe like because i'm um, doing my series 82 exam so i'm learning about securities and all this kind of stuff and i was looking at like exchange traded funds um, and I went to this exchange traded fund and it's like, cool. So you get all these securities, you go in there, you drop 10 grand and you can choose a portfolio. Maybe it recommends a portfolio to you, but I wouldn't use an a- another person's AI to do that if I had my own. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because right. then it's like, cool, here's my, my AI. Let's call her Susan. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah. You know, and they'd figure it out. Yeah. Because their, because their data set is based around your experiences from like who knows how long and across all these different things that is going to be way better than you answering a questionnaire or something. On, yeah, and they you know, know nothing yeah. about you. So it has yeah. to happen, right? Because right. it has to integrate because if you want to really know your customer, KYC, you really want to know your customer, talk to mm-hmm. its AI. So mm-hmm. there has to be this web of artificial intelligence connections, right? right. So that yeah. you can create super personal portfolio recommendations yeah. as an example it's it's wild it's wild yeah i know i thinking about thinking about what my daughter is going to be um looking at in 18 years uh in terms of ai and and uh you know everything else is is yeah, it's, it's impossible uh, well to i really mean imagine. then dude like well okay let's be let's be real for a sec you know <laughs> I, I drive my wife nuts right so <laughs> for, for a number of reasons but one of those is like, <laughs> I do this thing where I'm like, you know what I'm going to, I'm going to listen, I'm going to get Neuralink and when it comes, I'm going to get it because let's say this, right? <clears throat> How's this for a scenario? You have, so in the same context, you, we all have our own personal AIs. How are you talking to it? You're talking to it vi- verbally and it's analyzing some aggregated data sets, right? I think yeah. that it's going to become a, it's going to become it's, it's, it would be you wouldn't be able to compete. So if you have two two people, two entrepreneurs, I have mm-hmm. Neuralink and you don't. So yeah. I'm able to just with my thoughts communicate with AI, right? Yeah. Where does that put me in terms of competitiveness, the ability to make effective decisions, and blah, blah, knowing that there's mm-hmm. this aggregated web of data points and connections, right? That's all AI mm-hmm. driven. And if you don't have it, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's like yeah, you're you're getting things at the speed of of thought essentially that are um uh you know to make decisions with it might take uh, uh my team a week of crunching data to get to, right? Yeah. Um uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like so so you know, and then she's gonna come along and then what's the role of a parent then? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, these are big questions, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a little scary. It is very scary. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember the Michelangelo virus. You remember? I don't know how old you are, but like the ping pong virus that used to come and like on the floppy disks, and then when oh, you were yes, yeah, 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 you know, yep. and you'd see it's like your machines infected with Michelangelo. Ha ha! You know, it's like that was the thing, yeah. dude. And yeah. you know, and that was what that was ninety. No, it wasn't. It was like nineteen. 
How old was I? 90, 90, 1990, somewhere okay. around there. Yeah. So in 30 years, dude, we've now come this far and it's accelerating. So in 18, yeah. you could expect a technology jump of triple what we've experienced to date. Yeah. And then we don't it's, know where we are. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's moving so fast that we can't really keep up right as a, in terms of how we're reacting to things. I mean, I mean, you know, let alone, you know, and that's just like from a personal standpoint, let alone from like, think about the government trying to react to stuff like this. It's like, forget Mm. it. You know, you can't, yeah, yeah, you can't move fast enough. Well, who's, who knows what they're sitting on? You know, that Google engineer, that thing came out like before chat GPT came out and it was like, yeah, yeah. You know, Google's got a sentient being AI, like, and they denied it. I don't think it now it's so close. Yeah, you know? it is. It's yes, it's it's close enough. It's close enough that it's you know it's in that it's in that uncanny valley right where you're like it's close enough that when it says something you know if you're just talking to Chat GPT asking questions whatever when it says something off you're like it's slightly off and you're like well, wait why does this sound weird this this seems really creepy and it's more creepy than if it was like really off yeah it's yeah. Um, Scary times. Time. I'll be I'll be here on the same train with you. So if you get stuck, let me know. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Sounds good, Matt. Sean, good chatting to you, buddy. Thanks. You too. Thanks, everyone. Bye.